Hello and welcome to another episode of Phenomena. This is the podcast where we talk about women who have been underrepresented in Irish history. My name is Shauna. And I am Maria. And today Maria is going to tell us about... Zandra Mitchell, who I only discovered yesterday and... I'm a little bit obsessed with her now. I'm disappointed that there's not more information about her that I can find. Who is she? Zandra Mitchell was Ireland's first professional female saxophone player. So yeah, I'll just jump right in and then I guess we can we can learn about her together. <laughs> can I ask before we start, where did you find out about her? So I was rooting around online to see if I could find somebody interesting to do and I went on the Her Story website and they had a blog post about her and I thought she seemed interesting so I started digging a little bit deeper and unfortunately there's not a whole lot out there about her so hopefully this is going to start changing because there was a play written about her and performed up in Dublin quite recently so people seem to be kind of getting on board with the whole idea of who Xander Mitchell was. So fingers crossed, scholars will start looking at her and then there'll be like more in-depth research done around her because she was very cool. So Josephine Alexandra, aka Zandra Mitchell, was Ireland's first professional saxophone player. She was born to a very musical family in Fibsborough in 1903. So her father, Joseph Mitchell, had conducted the orchestra at the Theatre Royale and several of her siblings were also musicians. From a very young age, she learned to play a wide range of instruments, including the violin, the cello, and then later the saxophone. She became an excellent sight reader and played in bands accompanying the films at the Rotunda Cinema. And when she was a little bit older, she received permission from her parents to go to London for a week with her brother Eddie to play the saxophone in what seems to have been a novelty act with kind of like women musicians. While she was performing in London she was spotted by an agent who offered her a contract to tour Switzerland with an all-female band for six months. Her parents didn't love this idea. They wanted her to attend university but she decided to tour as a musician instead and the fallout was so huge that they threatened to disown her. Luckily, they seem to have repaired their relationship because there's a lot of like correspondence between her and her parents in, in later years. Following her Swiss tour, she went to Germany, where she signed up with a big band for two years. The band leader was a guy called Leo Zielinski, and he had a number of bands, but one of them was an all-girls band, and she was the lead saxophonist for that. After her time with Zielinski, she ended up forming her own band, Baby Mitchell's Queens of Jazz. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. And she travelled extensively throughout Europe and the whole world, much to her father's disapproval. But she got to see the world and play music, so how bad. And throughout her career, she played with some of the greatest jazz musicians of the 20th century. And I'm not a jazz fan. But even I've heard of Django Reinhardt, who she played with. And she also played with Coleman Hawkins. And Coleman Hawkins gave Zandra his Selmer mouthpiece, which she kept until her death. In later life, a lot of people kind of didn't really believe what Zandra said about her life. 
but she had some props. So it seems relatively undisputed that she did actually play with these people. This would have all been kind of 1920s, 1930s that she was traveling around. So although she was in and out of Berlin during the Weimar Republic, she toured extensively. So she didn't settle permanently in Berlin until 1935, 1936. But she definitely would have been part of that whole interwar jazz period in Berlin. But yes, from the look on your face, <laughs> for anybody who can't see it, Shauna's face dropped when she found out what year Zandra settled in Berlin. <laughs> Correctly, as I'm just about to say. So yes, obviously she witnessed firsthand the rise of Nazism in Berlin and would have been subjected to a lot of the not so good parts of living in Germany at the time. <laughs> To put it very lightly. <laughs> you know I'm rarely effusive with my words. <laughs> like the evil guys came and made bad things happen. So at the time, you actually weren't allowed to be a part-time musician in Germany. And you had to also declare in advance what type of music you were going to play, whether it was going to be classical music or jazz music. Now, because of kind of her past with like the cello and the violin, she did a combination of jazz and classical music at a time when it wasn't the best idea to be playing jazz in that particular location because it was considered a degenerate art and a threat to the Nazis' control. So to be a jazz musician in that place and time was a really big risk. So at the time, the Nazis had jazz rules. So I have some examples of what jazz rules were. One of the words I'm about to use is a little bit dodgy. It's a direct quote, which is why I'm using it. But just, it's not. Your word. Lexicon that I normally use, yeah. Saxophones must be replaced by strings. Drum breaks cannot exceed one bar, no groovy Jewish lyrics, and no Negroid yelling. Because no inferior races could have anything to do with the music, it had to have a pure Aryan approach. So in other words, just <laughs> no jazz and play something else, something we like. Pretty much, because like if you think about jazz and like the, the backgrounds that it came from and the type of musicians that would have been playing it, it's really kind of like elevating all of the people in society who the Nazis wanted to denigrate. So yeah, it was it was a it was a risky move to be playing jazz in Germany at those in those days. However, Zandra persevered and continued to play the music that she loved. And apparently her father actually used to send over music from Dublin like sheet music and you weren't allowed to play Jewish music at the time so you needed to be careful what types of music you even had in your possession like if you were stopped and searched when you had the wrong type of sheet music on you that was potentially like could get you into a lot of trouble and obviously then when you were performing you had to be even more careful because you didn't know who was going to be in the audience at any particular time so the fact that she was even playing jazz music at this stage is pretty phenomenal I, de I don't think I would have had the guts to do it personally it's crazy that she like stayed there and played the music that she wanted to play even with all this 
obvious oppression and you know societal shift or whatever like did she stay there out of in a defined way or like it's just interesting that she even stayed there you know so as I kind of mentioned I found it quite difficult to find a lot of information about her there is some of her correspondence like writing to her parents so I did hear there's a documentary which is where most of the source material about Zandra comes from and in that documentary they read out excerpts of her letters and one of the letters is from I think 1938 where she's talking about how it looked so close to there being a war um, and how worried she was because of how close Berlin was to the front and all that kind of stuff but luckily England decided to to follow the the appeasement that Hitler was looking for at the time so war looked like it wasn't going to happen at that stage so it was definitely something that she was worried about Um, and I think that in the letter she does mention like her plan that how she'd have to like leave if that was the case but that luckily it seems to have avoided it and obviously like Berlin at the time would have been like a massive center for music so if you wanted to play surely better play in Berlin than play in Dublin that's my hypothesis also don't forget that she toured extensively so like I think Berlin was a good base for her then to travel around with all of the other musicians so yeah it was definitely an interesting time to be to be a jazz musician I suppose as well I'm putting like my own perspective on it from knowing everything whereas at the time it was like it wasn't all at once it was bit by bit so I'm actually just about to talk about one of the bits Writing to her parents in the 30s, she actually spoke about the government closing down dance halls and banning a lot of music. Um, So dance halls were banned, but where she was located, she said she was lucky that despite the fact that they were banned, there was still a few kind of in operation around her. So she was still going to these banned dance halls and playing music. Now, by this stage, she was only playing straight music and cabaret. She wasn't playing the jazz. And she did also say that like the turnouts were much lower because obviously people were, were worried about getting caught. So she did end up staying in Berlin during the war. She was one of only 40 Irish citizens who remained in Germany during World War II. And she was present for a lot of the tragic historic events of Nazi Germany, including Kristallnacht, which she apparently witnessed on her way home from a gig. And I saw another story about her arriving at a jazz club only to find that it had been bombed before she got there. So like she was very much kind of on the front lines of these things. So according to the documentary that I listened to, now the documentary is from 2015, so things could have changed in the interim. But her letters to her family and her correspondence at the time are the only known correspondence of an Irish person living in wartime Berlin. So even for that alone, forgetting about like everything else interesting about her, like that's a pretty important historical contribution to society, I guess, to see what it was like as an Irish person living there at the time. As a foreigner, her assets were frozen following the outbreak of war and her money was no longer accessible to her. So that could maybe answer why she didn't leave Berlin following the outbreak of war. But I can't 100% say that because I don't know. 
but that would kind of indicate maybe that's why she stayed there. Did that happen everybody? Every foreigner? I don't know is the answer to that question. She makes a point of saying that Britain declared war on Germany. And obviously this would have been at a time when, although technically Ireland was separate from England, it was still very much kind of in the newer days. So like on an international level, how much the foreign diplomats would have paid attention to that is questionable. So it could be as a result of that, or it could be everyone. I didn't look it up. No worries. No, it was just, I'm just curious. Like, her assets were frozen because it's not like now that like it's just interesting I'm gonna look it up later it did make me kind of wonder if I was to move to a foreign country maybe I should always have cash reserves at all times I say foreign country it was making me think even now with all the madness that's going on I should probably have a a box of cash somewhere (laughs) just in case but nobody's gonna take it because of the germs Maria I don't know. Eventually they might want it. I'll disinfect it and it'll be fine. So she appears to have been in Berlin for much of the war. And I did hear a story about... So the Irish embassy in Berlin actually got bombed by Allied bombings at some stage during the war. So they moved out of the Berlin centre to a little bit further out. At this time, Zandra's passport ran out so she needed to get it reissued but there was very strict travel instructions in place at the time so she wasn't able to get public transport to go out to get her passport renewed so she did what any intelligent person would do during world war ii living in nazi germany and she she snuck onto a service train like a soldier's service train so she could get to the irish embassy and renew her passport she actually managed to get to the embassy and get the new passport mm-hmm. without getting caught. But on her way back, or else just after she arrived back, she got lifted by the Gestapo and was held by them for like three or four days. But she managed to have gotten off okay. So two thumbs up. I definitely wouldn't do it myself. <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting that she was the only Irish person or the only person that there's like remaining correspondence. Like, like they let her go because she wasn't in their category of people. She was basically Aryan-like. She was doing something that she wasn't supposed to do. But, like, I can't imagine that every Nazi harmed every person who didn't do something that they were supposed to do yeah you know people are people and granted they did a lot of monstrous things but most of that would have come down from the leadership as opposed to like the individuals themselves yeah so she got out all fine anyway well she's still in berlin at this stage but she's just not being held by the Gestapo anymore okay cool so she was also, they tried to force her to work in a munitions factory because at the time people who were living in Germany, they were expected to perform the same tasks that the German people were, were performing. But she really, really didn't want to work in a munitions factory. So she kind of fought against that a little bit. 
So apparently she was sent to work in a playing card factory instead to make playing cards for soldiers, which is really logical when you think about it, that those kind of things existed. But when you're thinking of like factories for wartime, the wartime effort, you don't really think of playing card factories as being one of them. Especially not in Germany. You think of like guns and tanks and Nazi flags and, you know, things like that. They got to play cards too. Nazis got to pass the time. Well, I was just thinking like there has to be some way to keep morale up if you've got people hanging around for ages. So like, yeah, it's totally logical, but also a little bit ridiculous. You think all that discrimination would keep them busy enough? All that hate takes up a lot of time. Now, I am going to kind of call you on this a little bit. Because I've thought about this a lot over, over time to do with like different historical periods. And how I would behave depending on where where I was and when I was and all that kind of crack. And as I already alluded to, as a group, the Nazis were bad. As individuals, most of them were just me and you who were born in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, I'm very adamant. I'm like, throw the book at them, boys. I'm like, it's black and white. Like, you, you ship up or ship out. You can get out of there. Nobody... I'm very uh, <laughs> hard and fast with my, my ideas of these things. I get that, but I, I do think that individually, not every single person who was in the German army at that time was a bad human being. I think individually, there would have been just regular people who did bad things, but I don't think that that means that every single one of them was a monster. Did you see Jojo Rabbit? No, I haven't. You should watch that. That's actually a really good, I know it's like this kind of absurd comedy at times, but that does have a kind of spirit of that. And it's really good. It's a really difficult conversation to kind of have. You can you can hear how carefully I'm choosing my words because you don't want to misrepresent anything. But I do think that it's very unfair to just tear everybody with the same same brush. Like much as I love to think that if I lived in an occu- a Nazi occupied country that I would have worked for the resistance, like realistically, the older that I get, I feel like I probably wouldn't have. I would have. We all a resistance. I would definitely. <laughs> I know it. Sure. Or I would be in a bunker. I would have just shipped out very early on with the way I handled this pandemic at the beginning actually that's probably more likely I would have just been like peace out so when I build my time machine I will put you in it and send you back to Nazi Germany and we'll see what happens and I will send letters and some other girls will talk about it on a podcast in years to come all right so we're gonna go back to Sandra after that detour of the ethics of Nazis (laughs) Around this time, her personal life became difficult for other reasons outside of the the circumstances that she was in. Her boyfriend at the time was not a good man, was the quote that I heard. It doesn't explain in what way he wasn't good, but I feel like that infers any number of, of dodgy dealings. Yes. She actually ended up touring North Africa with a Jewish band who she described as one of the worst bands she's ever played with 
in order to get away from this boyfriend. Unfortunately, she found herself pregnant before this happened. So she did actually end up having a child out of wedlock at this stage. I'm not sure if this is, the, the timeline is quite blurry, so I'm not sure if this is before the outbreak of World War II or if it's during World War II. The fact that she toured North Africa with a Jewish band leads me to believe that it was probably pre-1939. But again, I haven't found a timeline. So her child was called Constance Alexander. And Xandra actually left the baby with a family called the Rampol family until the child was about three or four while Xandra was on the road touring. Apparently, the boyfriend came back and claimed the child when she was seven. But there's almost nothing known about any of this because Xandra never told anyone about her daughter. So it only became apparent after Xandra's death when her will was read and she left her about three or four thousand pounds in her will. So the family and solicitor have tried to track down Constance, but they never managed to, or at least before 2015, they hadn't managed to. They do reckon that Constance survived the war, but obviously they don't know. Now, some of Xandra's friends up in Donegal in later life suspected that the daughter did track her down before she passed away. However, this is based entirely on conjecture and there's no evidence to support it. They just remember women who were German who would have been approximately the same age as Constance arriving and looking for Zandra and Zandra telling them like not to tell them anything about her. So they think it might have been the daughter, but they don't know. So this kind of brought her towards the end of World War II. So when the Russians started to approach Berlin, Sandra realised that she needed to escape because having already survived Nazi Germany, maybe Joanna also have to sit through the red thread as well. So what she did was she married a Belgian man called Alfred von Leuven in a marriage of convenience in order to help aid their escape. Following their marriage, they received a letter of passage from American troops which allowed them to leave Berlin. And... She returned to Dublin in 1946. I haven't seen any further mention of Alfred, so I don't know when he exited her life, what the circumstances were. To be honest, it was kind of difficult even to find out his name. There's not a whole bunch about him. So she spent a brief amount of time in Dublin and Sligo before settling in her family's holiday home in Rossenlau in Donegal. And she played some gigs in Dublin and Sligo in the 1960s and 70s, but she doesn't seem to have been prolific following her return to Ireland. This could be as a result of nobody really believing her stories of her time as a jazz musician and her wartime experience in Berlin. Jesus. Yeah. So she ended up becoming a bit of a recluse. And there are a couple of reports of her like inhabiting the garden level in the house up in Donegal and sleeping in her bathroom. And then she had like a drawing room, which was a music room where she kept a Schneider baby grand piano, as you do, living in luxury in your bath with your piano. She did form a couple of friendships kind of in her later years up in Donegal. That's where all of this information comes from. 
So it's quite difficult to actually verify a lot of things because a lot of it seems to be stories that she told herself as opposed to kind of there being written prints of it. But there are records of some of her correspondences. So I'm going to go with the fact that this story exists and that this is a real thing, especially because a few other people seem to have researched it and, you know, it seems to be relatively legitimate so she died in 1995 at the age of 92 and she's buried in Glasnevin Cemetery in Dublin which is where many famous Irish people have been buried over the years and yeah her story didn't come out until quite recently she didn't want really people to know apparently about her while she was still alive so she told her friend that he could like tell people after she passed so there was a radio documentary called a sentimental journey made in 2015 for lyric fm by a guy called mark mech meneman and he actually found out about zandra from his postman up in donegal who used to be friends with her so he's the one who actually has a lot of these records so he interviewed the postman to find out about about Sandra and as I mentioned that seems to be where a lot of the kind of primary information about her is and then following the radio documentary an actress and writer called Roseanne Lynch heard the documentary and became really interested in it and so she wrote a play called Sandra Queen of Jazz and she also interviewed this man up in Donegal to try and find out as much as she could about Sandra and those seem to be the kind of two major pieces of research that have been done on her I've been very wary with a lot of the information that I've seen in relation to the play because Roseanne Lynch herself admits that she uses poetic license in the play so if I've only seen a piece of information in respect to the play as opposed to something else I have assumed that it's fiction rather than fact and not not included it but yeah that's that's Sandra very cool. Do you know if there's any recordings of her music online or did that survive? I had a quick look to see if I could find something and I could not. I don't know if there are recordings, full stop. I imagine that if they are, they're probably in a shoebox somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's not like somebody could just take out their phone and take a quick bit or whatever they'd have to go into a recording studio and for jazz musicians it's all pretty live so I guess it would be heard like there definitely would have been I have heard some kind of like underground club recordings of jazz music from the 1930s so they exist it's just a case of whether these particular ones exist and I feel like, yeah, it would, it would involve a level of music research that is far above my capabilities. Cool. <laughs> Maybe somebody would like to check that out sometime. Well, when you go back to Nazi Germany to, to lead the resistance, you can always sneak in and try and take some copies for us. For sure. I'll just try and bring a smartphone back with me. It should be easy. Of course. Why not? I mean, will you be able to charge it? Who knows? But All these little quirks, the butterfly effect. But yeah, what do you think of her? 
She sounds really cool. All the smooth, sexy jazz. You know, you could just see all the smoke-filled clubs. You know, you have the tension with the Nazis. There's a lot, lot of dramatic stuff going on. Her life sounds really interesting. I really, really enjoyed researching Zandra. And the reason is, is because I feel like she is the perfect archetype of the reason why we started this podcast. Like, there's no book chapters about her or anything. It's literally just complete luck. And thank you so much to Herstory for doing so much work and trying to bring these these people forward because it is, it's, she got discovered because a guy spoke to his postman. You know? So, yeah, if anybody has anybody similar to that who they discovered by talking to the person in their deli counter at Spar, like, please tell me. I, I would love to know about the woman you learned about over your hot chicken roll. I'm not even joking. I know it sounds like I am, but I'm deadly serious. Definitely. Cool. So if you would like to recommend a, a lady you found out about whilst eating a bread roll of some kind, or would just like to follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you can do so. It's Phenomena Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, thank you very much for listening and tell your friends. Have a lovely week and goodbye. <laughs>